I don't know about you, and I don't really care. I love that song. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's just so good. We're breathing in a brand new world. This is life after the resurrection of Jesus. We're breathing in a brand new world. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what type of community that brand new world starts to give birth to, what type of community it starts to form. And we're calling this series Ethos. Will you say that with me? Ethos. Yeah, ethos is a Greek word, and it means um, values. It means the character of something, but it, but it also means things that we believe and, and things that we dream about, things that we hope for, things that we plead with God for. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to take a step back and go, God, who are you shaping us to become? And what are you shaping us to do? And what are the things that we hold dear? And what are the dreams that we would say collectively together we have about the way that you would use this little community of faith to make a massive difference in your world? So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. And I thought we would start um, where Jesus starts. So that's never a bad idea, right? <laughs> to ask, so Jesus, where do you start? And Jesus, what are you up to? And Jesus, how are you at work? So we're starting with a pop quiz, all right? Whose blood pressure went up just a little bit? Yeah, it's flashbacks, okay, to middle school where you didn't read. Pop quiz, oh, okay, here we go. What did Jesus talk about most. Like if we were to read through the Gospels and take a note of every time Jesus talked about a theme, what would he have talked about most? Okay, so here's how we're going to do this. You can do the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Raise your hand if you want. It looks like this, okay? Or if you're bold and you're confident, you can just throw your hands in the air and wave them around like you just don't care, okay? What did Jesus talk about most? How many think A, love, okay? Hands down. How many think B, Jesus talked about heaven and or hell most? Okay. How many think he talked about the kingdom of God most? Okay. How many think he talked about money most? Okay. Interesting. So we have a pretty wide swath of answers. Um, let me let Jesus answer that question for us. If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and uh, Jesus is just coming on the scene. If you know anything about the Gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew sort of wants to walk us through the birth narrative, tells us uh, how Jesus was born, focuses primarily on Joseph and the courage that Joseph has, had to have. Um, we lead into Jesus getting um, led out into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. That's in chapter 3. Chapter 4 begins, or sorry, chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism. Chapter 4 is Jesus being tempted by the enemy. And, and halfway through chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene to publicly begin teaching and ministering to people and listen to what he says. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. And when he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, verse 15. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Sound familiar to anyone? Okay. 
On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Here's his message. Repent. Turn. For the kingdom of heaven has come. It's not only the very first thing that Jesus says when he begins to preach, it's also the thing he talks about most. Over a hundred times in our Gospels, we have Jesus referring to, talking about, unpacking the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. In fact, after Jesus is resurrected and he teaches on earth for a number of weeks, listen to the way that Luke records what he talks about. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs, proofs that he was alive. Now, just a quick time out. We should chuckle a little bit when we read that. Because how many times do you have to prove to somebody that you are alive? <laughs> no, seriously, guys, I am alive. If you try to convince people of that, they will think you are insane. Why? Because you haven't died and come back from the dead. When you die and come back from the grave, you have to say to people, like, touch me, hear me, eat with me, walk with me, high five me. You have to convince people you're alive because you haven't always been. You were dead. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about, say it with me, the kingdom of God. This is the main theme of Jesus' teaching. And really, the second isn't even all that close, and I would say it's a subset of this big theme. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come. Which begs the question, what in the world is the kingdom of God? Because if we don't answer that, we will have no awareness or understanding of what Jesus is teaching and why it's so important. And we live in a republic, we don't live in a monarchy, but we still have an awareness of, of what a king does and how a kingdom functions. But in order to understand this kingdom, we need to go back to the beginning of the story. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Because this is the first time we start to see the theme of a kingdom in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, we have God creating, creating heaven, creating earth, saying it's good. And it's really clear that God creates out of nothing, that he orders all of his creation. He brings shalom or peace where there's chaos. That he is the king who's ruling over all of this. And if you were to try to summarize Genesis 1 and 2, here's the way that you might do it if you were painting a picture. You would say that, that heaven and earth are these two interconnected spaces. Or to say it in another way, God's space and human space overlaps. Where God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden, he talks with them, he interacts with them. When they disappear, he's shocked. Where have you gone? God's space and human space overlap. But the very first thing that God does after creating creation is 
he gives rulership or kingdom responsibilities to his created. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Listen to what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, to to Adam and Eve, to humanity, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God creates and then he gives us rulership. He gives us dominion over his creation. It's as though God is the the, the manager or the boss and we are his employees designed to carry out his intention for this world that he has just created. You and I carry the image of God and we are designed to carry the purpose of God, which is to rule. So if you're living, breathing, and human, you are designed to have dominion, to rule. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 8 will echo this calling of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. It's a poetic rendering of the same idea. When I consider, verse 3, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you would care for them? I mean, how many of you have stood on top of a 14er and gone, God, you care about me? Like, you created all of this as far as my eye can see, and and you you care about me? That's the psalmist. And And then he tells us why God cares about us. You've made them, talking about humanity, you've made them a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their, your feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the wild, birds in the sky and fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. So it's this God, you've created us, you've designed us to rule, and really we're ruling under you. Your name is great. And that's what our rule is designed to amplify. God, your name is great. Now, here's another pop quiz. How did Adam and Eve do with that calling? Okay, Not that great, right? A, not that great. B, awesome. Okay, how many think A, right? Like, you're redeemed. You're at 50% now if you got the first one wrong, right? Yeah, they didn't do a great job. We don't do a great job. And so they were designed to be rulers under God and in God's creation, working it, subduing it, being stewards, caretakers of it. And they have this one decision to make. We're going to have to decide in our rulership What's right and what's wrong? What's good and what's bad? What's good and what's evil? So God sets up this tree in the middle of the garden. It says, and then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to care for it. That was his calling. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will die. Adam and Eve, you have to decide how you're going to decide what's right and what's wrong. Will you rely on God? Will you live under God's rule? Will you live under God's reign? Or will you rebel against the ruler, the manager, take ownership yourself and say, God, we think we know how to drive this car better than you. God, we think we know how to do this thing called life better than you know how to do it. And so these rulers that God installs to care for his creation and to, um, uh, to work it on his behalf immediately decide, God, we think we have a better idea than you. We think we can do this better than you. And so here's what happens because of humanity's decision. We introduce sin, we introduce death, we introduce pain, we introduce sorrow into the world, and this God space and earth space that was once connected is now fractured because of sin. And so the entire storyline of the Bible is trying to answer the question, what is God going to do about this fracture? How is God going to respond? to his creation being chaotic and not shalom-oriented like he designed it. Where is God going to act? How is God going to act? What's God going to do? And so here's the very first thing he does. Um, Three-minute history lesson about what the Old Testament is ultimately all about, okay? Here's what God does. He calls out one man and one family. His name is Father Abraham, had many sons, had many sons, right? Called Father Abraham. The first thing he tells Abraham to do is leave. Leave these kingdoms of the earth, these empires of the earth, and step into a different type of a kingdom. And so Abraham does. He follows God. But Abraham and his family, after a number of years, find themselves enslaved under the Egyptians and under Pharaoh. And once again, the question is, God, how are you going to respond Because evil seems like it's getting the last laugh. Evil seems like it's dominating the day. This this coming back together that was supposed to happen through Abraham doesn't seem like it's happening, God. What are you going to do about it? And God raises up Moses, and Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, a bunch of plagues come. This is summary. You can read about it. And then God leads his people of Israel out of slavery and into the brink of the promised land. And when Israel gets on the other side of the Red Sea, they break out in the very first worship song that the scriptures record and talk about. It's in Exodus chapter 15. And in verse 18, Moses and Miriam and the Israelite community, they sing this, The Lord shall reign Forever and ever, the Lord, right? Does it sound familiar? (laughs) Ish? It's the very first time that humanity says back to God, you reign. You rule. This is your space. And we want to be your people, 
We want to live in your way, under your rule, and under your reign. And so a few chapters later, Israel is called to a mountain where they enter into covenant relationship with God. We know it as the Ten Commandments, but it's really them saying, God, we're choosing to live in your way, to worship you alone, to not make idols, to have no other gods before you, to choose not to steal, to choose to honor our father and mother, to choose to respect and honor the Sabbath. We're, We're choosing to live in your way as your people. And then, like Adam and Eve, how'd they do with that? A, great. B, not so good. (laughs) B, not so good. You're at 66%, even if you missed the first one now, right? We're going to work you up to an A, okay? Yeah, no, they, they fail miserably. They fail miserably, and God sends kings, and God sends prophets, and he he creates a temple, and a temple is basically God's space invading earth space, but it all falls short of what the people desperately long for, and they fail in keeping in rhythm with the grace of God that was at their fingertips when they walked out of the brink and the, or walked out of the grip of slavery. By the way, whenever God reigns, slaves are freed. The oppressed are lifted up. Those who are abused are healed all throughout the scriptures. But Israel resists. They resist God. And they have these prophets that come along. And these prophets, they start to point to the dawning of a new day or the dawning of a new world. And they start to paint this picture of Israel looking um, less and less like the pharaohs who'd enslaved them and more and more like the Yahweh that redeemed them. And so you have prophets like Isaiah who says this, you who bring good news to Zion, who go up on a hill, you who bring good news to Jerusalem, or gospel in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's this word euangelion, the word gospel. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, say it, church, here is your God. Your God has come. He's not leaving you to the empires of The earth, he's coming. And every single quote-unquote good Jew in Jesus' day would have had these prophetic verses on on, on on their lips, at their fingertips. They would have been thinking, God, there's a day when you're gonna come. There's a day when you're gonna redeem. There's a day when when good news is gonna be present for us and And their empires had changed. They're no longer under the iron fist of the Pharaoh. Now they're under the reign of the Caesars. But they're praying these verses nonetheless. And so when Jesus comes and steps onto the scene and says, Oh, repent, turn, change your mind, which is literally what the word repent means. For the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand. He's saying something is going on in the cosmos that is changing the world. 
that God is acting on the promises that he's made. He's following through on what he said he would do. And so Jesus' exclamation, repent, change your mind. There's an entirely new way to live. You don't have to live under the empires of the earth. You don't have to live under the the thumb of the Caesar and the way of the Caesar and the way of the Roman Empire. God is invading. You do know that Jesus didn't get killed because he was telling people to love each other, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they're like, kill him! Wasn't it? Wasn't it? He was talking about a new day. He was talking about the reign of God. He was talking about the kingdom of God. And here's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the space where what God wants done is done. The place where God gets his way. It's the place of his effective rule. It's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer like we did this morning... Jesus, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a subversive prayer. God invade this space. It's subversive socially, politically, psychologically. It's subversive in every way you can possibly imagine. And here's what Jesus is saying. My kingdom is invading the kingdoms of the world the ways of the world, the values of the world. It's coming, and it's here. So the Apostle Paul will write to the church at Corinth, and, and, and he will say that by grace you have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the dominion or the kingdom of his son whom he loves. It's a transference of kingdoms, a transference of rule, a transference of, of reign. So here's the question. If this is what Jesus is talking about, I think it should mirror what happens in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates, God designs his rulership, and then the very first thing he does is he appoints human beings to be caretakers, to be rulers. And if that's what's going on here, a recreation of humanity we should see Jesus do the same thing. Let's look and see if that's what happens. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. It's exactly what happens. He he calls people, come and live in my way. Come and live under my reign. Come and allow me to be your God, to shape your values, to shape your dreams, to move you forward. Come and be my disciples what he does. But we can't understand what a disciple is unless we understand what the kingdom of God is because discipleship and God's kingdom are intricately intertwined. See, discipleship is learning. 
Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, a journey that never ends this side of glory. Discipleship is learning how to live under the reign of Jesus. So will you look up at me for a moment? This is what we are all about as a church. To, to teach people how to live under the reign of Jesus, to teach people how to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, saying back to Jesus, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to be that kind of a people. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives a, a beautiful threefold vision of what discipleship looks like. And just a quick timeout. Um, because my guess is you're here, and well, I know you're here, but my guess is that some of you are here, and you have one of two thoughts going on. One is, I wish that were for me, but it isn't. That, that invitation to discipleship, I've got so much baggage in my past, I've got so many decisions that I've made that I wish that I could take back. If you saw my rap sheet, if you saw my resume, there's no way that Jesus would choose me. And I just want to tell you, he chose Peter. <laughs> and I think he chose Peter so you couldn't sit here and say that. He's constantly putting his foot in the mouth. The only reason he takes his foot out of his mouth is to change feet. <laughs> I mean, he's not exactly a stellar example for us for most of the scriptures. So I think we, we carry some pain into this and we carry some regret and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. This is for you. And then the other lie we believe is that discipleship is some sort of elite form of spirituality that we will get to eventually. And I just want to tell you that that's not the way the scriptures talk about it. The scriptures talk about you and I becoming disciples upon putting faith in Jesus, saying, we want to learn to live in your way, with your heart, in your world, for your glory, with your joy. That's what we want to be about from day one. I chose the word learning intentionally because that is the posture of a disciple. We're learners. It literally means apprentices. Learning, God, what do you do with anger? In your reign, in your rule, what do we do with anger? In your rule, in your reign, what do we do with lust? In your rule, in your reign, what do we do with our enemies? God, in your rule, and your reign, what do we do with our regrets? How do we live in your way? With your heart. It's both action and affection. It's inward and it's outward, and it encompasses every piece of what it means to be human. So what does Jesus do? He gives us a threefold vision of what it looks like to become a disciple. Someone who lives under the rule and the reign of Jesus in the kingdom of God. Here's the very first thing he says. Come and what? Follow me. Come and follow me. Come and, come and be with me. Come be in such close proximity that you start to realize and recognize how I respond in the situations that you encounter on a daily basis. Come and follow me. The... the um, People used to talk about getting so close to a rabbi that you would be covered in his dust. While he walked down those dusty roads, his dust would come up off of his feet and you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That close, that intimate. 
that much in step with him. It's the first call of becoming a disciple. It's to, to be with Jesus. And we're going to dive more and more into that next week. But, but here's my question for you today is, do you, is that something that you long for? Um, we had a, on Friday night, I took my um, youngest son, Reed. He started to play flag football, which is pure comedy. It's, um, it's like chasing, hurting cats is what it's like. Um, he's five and playing flag football, but um, I, he had a practice at 6.45 Friday night, which is insane, but whatever. Um, now this is just about me. I'm just venting, but... <clears throat> So I took my oldest son with me to go to this practice, and it meant that my daughter got to stay home with my wife, and, and they got to just spend some time, just the two of them. And you wouldn't believe how excited she was to say goodbye to her brothers, right? <laughs> and we got back to the house, and I mean, she was like, I said, well, sweetie, what'd you guys do? Essentially, Nothing right? Like, we played games together, we chewed gum, we did this, we did that, but I mean, to her, better than Disneyland, right? Just her and mom spending time together, nothing better. And I knew I was preaching on this, and I thought, Jesus, do I have that same type of a longing to, to be with my, my rabbi, to be with my master, my Lord, my Jesus? It's interesting, when they used to talk about the early disciples, there was a refrain that seemed to rise up, and here's what they said. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, just a quick time out. If you're Peter and John, are you going, did you need to put that in there? <laughs> like, did, really? It was, that was necessary, Luke? You're, sure, you're a doctor and all, but okay. They were, they were just normal dudes, right? But people were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Whatever we're with, whomever we're with, people can tell. People can tell. Is it, is it rubs off. And so the disposition of a disciple is someone who's experiencing Jesus' presence, learning attentively, and ha has a posture of just saying, God, change me. And I need to get in proximity to Jesus in order to do that. Here's how he goes on. He says this. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. It's one Greek word, and it is the word poeo. Will you say that with me? Poeo. Poeo. And it means to do or to make. And I will make you. I'll reform you. I'll shape you. Like, you will become different kinds of people. As you live in proximity to Jesus, he changes you from the inside out. And we see the second distinctive of discipleship, of living under the rule and reign of Jesus. It's we're with Jesus and we're becoming like Jesus. When In Jesus' day, when a rabbi would call somebody to be a disciple, an apprentice, or a learner, they would typically pick the best of the best or the most elite because when a rabbi called a disciple, there was the understanding that the disciple would become like the rabbi and then would carry their teachings on after they were gone. 
So they would follow them everywhere. Like I said, there's stories of, of um, people, disciples following their rabbis even to the bathroom. Sort of like being a parent, right? I mean, you're like, oh, you're here too, okay. I mean, they wanted to learn how to do everything in their rabbi's way. Not just believe what the rabbi believed, but live like the rabbi lived. Which is why when Jesus is walking on the water, Peter, his disciple, says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out. Why? Because if I'm your disciple, I, I do the things that you do. And you're walking on water, so therefore, if I'm your disciple, I should be able to walk on water. We knock Peter for a lot of stuff, guilty as charged. He's one of only two people who's ever lived that's walked on water. (laughs) Because of his boldness, his veracity, Jesus, call me out. It's not just, being a disciple is not just saying, I have faith in you. Certainly it's that, but it's not only that. It's saying, I want to become like you. I want to live the way that you lived. I want to do the things that you did. And so John will talk about this journey with Jesus as a new birth. Listen to what he says. Jesus replied to John, very truly, uh, to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the what? Kingdom of God. No one can see God's reign, God's rule, God's space breaking through into our world unless they are what? Born again. They start to become different kinds of people. And it is initiated on faith and then empowered by grace every day as we learn more and more. Jesus, how would you respond in this situation? Jesus, when people wrong me at work, how would you respond and what would you do? Jesus, what would you do with the anger that we have a propensity to burden and carry ourselves? Jesus, what would you do with the injustice in this world? Jesus, what would you do when kids are taken advantage of? How would you respond? Jesus, what would you do? And we want to do the same thing in your way with your heart. I believe that Jesus casts the most compelling vision ever casted about what it means to be human. About what it means to be human. Free from anger and lust, loving even our enemies, being generous to people who don't deserve it, being free from worry and anxiety because we trust that our good Father is taking care of us. But it's not an easy journey, is it? It's not all just sunshine, rain, sunshine and gumdrops. It's not easy. Because he confronts our values. You've noticed this about Jesus? He confronts our beliefs. He confronts what we think about sexuality. He confronts what we think about power. He confronts what we think about anger and manipulation. He confronts some of the things that the empires of the earth hold dear and say, you cannot live without those things. And he says, my kingdom's different. Essentially what he says is you have two trees to choose from. You have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's, that's, that's what Adam and Eve chose, and that's the way that the whole empires of the earth, they got their start there. But you also have the tree of Calvary, where Jesus gave his life and paid for our sin in order to invite us into new life 
and you can choose that tree. And every decision we make, will you look up at me for a moment? Every decision we make is a choice between two trees. Am I living under Jesus' reign? Life, death, resurrection? Or am I going to decide this is what I think is right? This is what will get me forward. Decision of two trees. And then Jesus finally says this. Come, follow me. So be, be close to me. And I will make you, I'm going to transform you into fishers of people. Fishers for people. Now, this is obviously a metaphor, okay? Um, Jesus didn't hand them a net and say, okay, no, go for it, do that. Um, it's a metaphor, and it's this, this picture that Jesus is painting, that we would do as Jesus did. He holds out the good news of his kingdom, calls people to walk in his way with his heart everywhere he goes. It's the first time the word gospel is used in the um, New Testament here, and it's this picture of declaration, kingdom declaration, repent, change your mind. God's up to something. You can walk into the kingdom of God now if you submit your life under the rule and under the reign of Jesus. But it's not just believing. It's actually living. Dallas Willard, I think, puts it poignantly when he says this. The greatest issue facing the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Oh, that is so good, I wish I wrote that. <laughs> so good. But you guys, that's what we're about. That's what we're about as a church. That's what we want to say more and more. Every single change that we make, whether it's to our building or our programs or our staffing, everything, is going to be to gather people around this vision. How do we learn to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? How do we teach people how to become disciples? And it does require teaching because the way of Jesus is countercultural. It's counter to the kingdoms of the earth. It's different. It's different. So when Jesus gives the great commission, he says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. I always thought the great commission was to tell people to obey. As if we just naturally know what it looks like to live in the way of Jesus. That, that, that's not what the great, the great commission is to teach people how, how in the nitty gritty, dirt underneath your fingernails, daily life, what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus? And that's what we want to do. Part of living in the way of Jesus is exactly what Jesus says he goes and does. Jesus went through Galilee teaching people in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. God's space is invading earth space. This is good news. Join the revolution. Join the movement. And when God shows up, the 
healing of every disease and sickness among the people. We want to be a living, we want to be a teaching and a proclaiming, and we want to be a healing community where people's physical ailments are healed. We're praying that God would do that, where people's emotional scars are healed, where where people's mental cognitive disabilities are healed, where people find restoration, renewal, and the goodness of God and grace of God is seen all over our community. That's what we want. Because that's what Jesus talks about. And we just want to get on board with what he's doing. Because there's a day coming, friends, where one day, the the end of the story is exactly like the beginning. The end of the story isn't going somewhere else. The end of the story is heaven and earth reunited, where God's dwelling is with his creation. He will be our God. We will be his people. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, for the old order of things is gone, and the new has come. And so in this in-between, here's what we want to do. We want to live in this tension of the overlap between the kingdoms of the earth and the kingdoms of God really, really well. And the way that we do that is by teaching people to live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. Our mission statement as a church used to be, we exist to glorify God through um, gospel transformation, life-giving community, sorry, (laughs) We exist to glorify God by making disciples through gospel transformation, life-giving community, visible faith. And I would say that in our Meet the Pastor gatherings we used to have, and I'd follow that up every time with, really what that means is we want to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And after I said that, like, for the sixth month in a row, I thought to myself, if I need to explain our mission statement with another mission statement, maybe we should just go with that. And it's as simple as I can make it, you guys. Our longing for every person in this room and every person in our community is that we would gather around each other and that we would teach each other and that we would learn how to live life in the kingdom of God right now, to live under the rule and reign of Jesus, to respond in the way that Jesus would respond, to value the things that Jesus would value, to hold out the hope that Jesus came proclaiming to be a Jesus people through and through because we believe that he is teaching us how to live life in his kingdom right now, today, and that's the best life you can possibly imagine. All right, yeah, you can clap. We're done. With Jesus, like Jesus, as Jesus. We're going to talk about it over the next eight weeks. I hope that you're here to journey with us. Um, Early followers of Christ, when people would put faith in Jesus and they'd step into this Jesus way, where they'd trust him for forgiveness of sin, and they'd say, I want to live my life in a way that reflects the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. They'd go, great, well, here's what you need to do first. Come and be baptized. It's this declaration that You're following his way. That's the picture of baptism is that we've been buried with Christ through death and that we've been raised to walk in newness of life. And we're going to do that as we close our time together today. So I'm going to invite Aaron and the team up to lead us in one song. If you're being baptized today as a declaration that you're trusting in Jesus and following the way of Jesus, learning how to be a disciple... I'd invite you during this last song, sneak out over towards Molly. Molly, can you raise your hand? 
Um, she will help you get all situated. If you're here and you're like, I'm following the way of Jesus, I want to follow the way of Jesus, and I'm just not ready to be baptized, or I'm not prepared to be baptized, but I am ready, um, we've got you taken care of. We've got shorts for you to borrow. We've got a shirt for you to wear. If you're worried about your hair, um, we've got a hair dryer. We've got makeup. We've got all your excuses done, right? And I would encourage you that today's your day to tell everybody, yeah, I'm a follower of the way of Jesus, an apprentice, a disciple, a learner. I'm surrendering my life to him, and I'm taking his life as my own, learning to live in his way with his heart. So we're going to celebrate a few baptisms that we know of. Would you stand up? And during this last song, if you'd like to be baptized, I'd invite you to walk out and we would celebrate with you as we do that. Jesus, thank you for coming to teach and proclaim the kingdom. And Lord, we want to be kingdom people, apprentices learning how to live under your rule and your reign where what you want done gets done in our lives and through our lives. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that you'd shape us through this series, that you'd encourage us, that you'd teach us what it looks like to live under your rule. We love you. Amen. You can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. Take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. You can have it all. Every part of my world Take this life and breathe on This heart that is now yours And all the joy I
song to lead us into baptism because in baptism that's what we're saying that that Jesus you laid it all down for us and it's our desire now to to receive your grace to walk in your way to live in your way with your heart we we're trusting you and we want to tell everybody that we're followers of Jesus and that's what we get the chance to celebrate. And every time we do that, I, I sort of mention, hey, if, if we don't get excited about this as a church, we shouldn't be a church. This is a, a picture of why we exist, that God's grace is on display for us to see and hear in the stories of, of people who call South Fellowship Church their home. And so I want to encourage you, one, um, you don't need to be um, re, uh, reserved um, if you want to get excited about this, please do. If you can't see where you are, I'd encourage you to get around uh, in a space where you can see so that you can celebrate with people who are your brothers and sisters here. So um, let me call out Holly first, and Holly's going to tell us a little bit about how she came to know Jesus as her Savior and Lord. And I think Holly started coming to South because the School for the Blind is right down in Littleton, is that right? Yeah, so um, my friend uh, Julie McGinnity used to come here. She was a student at the Colorado Center for the Blind, and she told me about South, and I wanted to come check it out. And um, I just want to say thank you for everyone here being a very welcoming community. Um, and I've just really enjoyed coming here and getting to meet everyone. Awesome. And Holly, can you? Yeah, that's great. We talked that. And Holly, can you tell us how you came to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord? So ever since I was younger, um, I would go to church with my grandma a lot. And um, she just would always, you know, bring the Lord up in a lot of our conversations that we had. And um, when, I was, when I was five years old, we had a vacation Bible school at her church. And I went to it and... Uh, I, one day we were just talking on the way home and I was like, I'm ready. And she was like, for what? And I was like, <laughs> dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, I want to accept, you know, I want to accept Jesus into my life, you know? And she was like, I would love to help you do that. And so we prayed and, um, I went to a youth group in high school and then in college, I, there was a few campus ministries that I attended and, um, there was one, it was the Baptist Student Union. They were, they were more of a non-denominational type of ministry, but they, that was what they called it. Um, and I met a lot of great people in there who really 
poured into me, and uh, I grew a lot through that. So awesome. now I want to be baptized. How cool. How cool. So all you grandparents out there bringing your, kiddo, bringing your grandkids to church, it makes a difference. You people that volunteer in VBS, it makes a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of people. Um, Holly, are you uh, trusting in Jesus alone for forgiveness of your sin? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes, every day. Awesome, mm. awesome. You can grab a seat. And you can plug your nose if that's comfortable for you. Great. And Holly, based on your profession of faith in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, it is our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is Joe Penyaskavich. Penyaskavich. <laughs> Hop on him. Joe, can you tell us how you came to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Um, yeah, so I guess very start, I was baptized as an infant. And so I guess growing up, I always felt like something was there. And I don't know if that's a correlation, but it doesn't matter anyways. Uh, and as I got older and got into high school, um, got into a church with some friends, and uh, I guess the seed of the Lord was planted in mm -hmm. my life. And uh, it wasn't soon after that the world and the enemy kind of pulled the seed away yeah. and fell into 10-some years just away from the Lord. And um, uh, I guess back in 2015 was kind of a, the end of kind of just my sanity with drugs and alcohol and Ended up in rehab and just a whole mess, but um, the Lord used that and um, through rehab and coming out. And then in November 11th of 2016, I actually accepted Jesus over there in that corner. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was really amazing. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, and just for good measure, I did it again when I got to work that day. Nice. So, yeah, be safe. Um, but yeah, it's just been amazing ever since, and I just want to be obedient and get, get baptized because my Lord wants me to, so. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And Joe, are you trusting in Jesus alone for forgiveness of your sins? Yes, I am. And is it your des desire to follow him as, and have him as Lord of your life every day? Yes, it is. Awesome. That's our joy to baptize you. Can you have a seat? And Joe, based on your profession of faith in Jesus... As Lord and as Savior of your life, it is our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, there's nothing better than that, is there? Um, back in that corner, so be careful in that corner, right? Uh, 
Hey, as our kids start to leave, just a reminder for you, if you have kiddos in our kids' ministry, if you can wait until they get back to their classroom so that we can check them out to you from there, uh, that will help us keep everybody safe. But it's great to have our kids with us for this, isn't it? Yeah. We love you guys. We're going to close our time by the singing of uh, the doxology. If you'd stand with me, we'll sing this great old hymn together. Um, you may notice that we aren't using our side screens and, uh, right now, and that's because during this series, we want to um, both literally and figuratively have everybody sort of facing in the same direction. Uh, we we want to say this is where we sense God leading us as a church, and so having one screen in the middle is just for us a picture of us saying this is where we sense God leaning, and we're, we're all going to lean into that together. So um, what a great time to celebrate baptisms. Let's sing the doxology together. Remember where our blessings come from. Sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Would you go in the grace of Jesus, in the peace of Jesus, to live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, to bring the joy of Jesus to everybody you know this week. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week. Praise the Lord.